0: Football Social Daily with KingCasino.com. Pick up a royal ransom of 100% up to £150, plus 50 free spins on the description link over 18s only terms and conditions apply please play responsibly BeGambleAware.org.
2: after 30 years Liverpool Football Club finally got their chance to lift a league title again it may have been in an empty Anfield but that won't bother Jurgen Klopp and co who are engaged in an 8 goal thriller with Chelsea goals of the highest quality from both sides but it was the champions who came out on top 5-3 leaving Chelsea sweating on a Champions League finish Manchester United are also in the hunt for a top four spot, but they could only manage a 1-1 draw with West Ham last night. The point mathematically secures the Hammers' survival and leaves United needing to avoid defeat against Leicester on Sunday and what will be a thrilling final day of the Premier League season. And talking of thrilling final days, what about the championship last night? It was nail-biting from top to bottom, but in the end, West Bromwich Albion were confirmed as returning to the big time. We'll discuss how Leeds and the Baggies will fare at the top table next season, as well as our thoughts on the playoffs. Also, we have the latest top-flight transfer rumours, including possible deals for pierre Emile Pierre-Emerick and Douglas. Arsenal, Everton and Aston Villa all amongst the gossip. Welcome along to Football Social Daily, the only podcast keeping you across all the big news and talking points from the English Premier League in podcast form seven days a week, every single day of the season. I'm Niall McCorn and joining me on today's show, we've got a buzzing baggy, Our resident West Brom fan, Lee Whitehouse, is here. Hello, Lee. Hi, mate. How's it going? Um, I'm well, probably not as well as you, though, although I wanted to ask how, how the head is. Did you have a few beers last <laughs> yeah. night?
1: A couple of beers had had to be done just to get over get over the shock of it all, and the, I think it was more relief at the end actually than anything else. It was just just a mad that last forty five minutes is just the most mad forty five minutes I've ever been through as a West Brom fan, and anybody who knows West Brom knows that whenever we go up or go down, there's normally a big day at the end. But yeah, that was just the maddest forty five minutes ever. I think I've had as a fan. Well, we'll touch. no absolutely brilliant
2: i bet it was we'll touch on that a little bit later on in the show and from one lead to another we've got sam lee as well the manchester city writer for the athletic hello to you sam good morning i bet a part of you is secretly glad that man city aren't in the fa cup final because you've had games coming out of your ears lately
3: covering man city uh yeah there's been a lot i mean the the distance between the semi-final on saturday and the the Watford game on Tuesday just seemed to be nothing at all I couldn't believe it another game would come around but no an an FA Cup final would have been good but I suppose um, with the Champions League coming up might be a good time for a bit of a break
2: Yeah, definitely. It's going to be uh, absolutely cut and thrust between now and the end of the Champions League, which of course is only a couple of weeks away. That's crept up on us quickly. Anyway, let's begin today's show by looking back at last night's action, starting with Anfield, where Liverpool finally lifted the Premier League trophy following an exciting 5-3 win over Chelsea. I mean, we said, Sam, yesterday on the podcast that it's all well and good Liverpool going to lift the trophy. We all knew it was going to happen, but if they didn't win, it would have been a bit strange lifting the title inside Anfield with fans likely congregating outside having not picked up the victory.
3: Uh, yeah, well, I mean, it's, it's obviously very strange anyway. You know, obviously everything is. Uh, yeah, you, obviously you want to win on, on a day like that. Um, but I'm trying I'm trying to think even back when, to when City won it. They obviously got 100 points in the end. But I think they drew nil-nil with Huddersfield on the day they got the trophy. So it's kind of as soon as you get to the final whistle, it doesn't matter so much. But I think... I think they just wanted to win in general because they've not been in great form since the restart or even before it. So it's definitely kind of like the a small cherry on top of the cake, really, to get a win last night. And it was a kind of party result, really. It wasn't like a normal, certainly not a normal Liverpool game, not even really like a normal... Premier League game since the Mm. season's come back I don't even remember too many three twos let alone five threes so uh, yeah I mean you, you want you want something like that you want plenty to celebrate if you if you're going to be lifting the trophy anyway but I mean look whatever would have happened on the pitch they would have made the most of it because no fans in the stadium poor results recently or whatever you know they've waited 30 years so I'm sure they're happy enough regardless
2: yeah no it's a good point and to do it in that manner five goals uh, at home Roberto Firmino finally getting that elusive Anfield goal a 5-3 win over Chelsea Chelsea would have needed the result um, more than Liverpool Lee uh, but it was a, a game of the highest quality I thought all eight goals were absolutely brilliant
1: yeah I've seen the, I was watching the goals back this morning actually they've all been taken really well I think it shows the where the the top teams are in the league so when they put in when they put in a game like that you know you get to see um, football at, at the highest quality. And it's just a great advert for the Premier League. It also shows where where Chelsea are in terms of. I mean, they can they can they mount an attack. Obviously, this this more for next year. But you know they've got they've got so much. I mean Lampard brought brought in so much quality into that team. And I think Pulisic has just been brilliant for them since he's, since he's come in. Um, it's always been interesting as well. They, they've gotten to Rue, which obviously fell out of love with them, didn't he? Um, mm. Earlier in the year, but he seems to have come back strong after the restart. And I think he's a big factor for them as well. Um, but yeah, it's such a great game of football. Just, for the, just to watch as a, for, for the neutrals must have been amazing last night if anyone who tuned in to watch it. Absolutely brilliant.
2: Yeah, I mean, I watched it in a similar vein to you, Lee, and I thought the quality of the goals, as I've just mentioned, was unbelievable. I mean, Trent Alexander-Arnold, Sam again putting in an absolutely brilliant display he's done it all season which led me to ask the question how impressive is it that both Robertson and Alexander-Arnold have managed to keep up the levels of intensity I suppose you could kind of point the finger at Klopp and say well it's it's him he's the reason the managers kept them going but it's punishing getting up and down that line in the manner that Liverpool fullbacks do so I mean it's commendable I know we've had a three month break due to the pandemic but it's commendable the way they've managed to keep themselves going in that vein all season.
3: Uh, yeah, I, you, I suppose you can put you put it down to the the man the manager. You know the momentum that he's um, kind of in, instilled in the team and how you know that's kind of rolled on from last season and the de- desire to win the trophy. Um, obviously, for most of the season when they were in their like, breathtaking form, I suppose a lot of it you know that momentum builds in itself as well. Particularly playing Anfield. I mean, when you talk about energy levels and playing like that, I mean it's common you know for for players to have. That kind of season where they don't run of, out of energy the whole time um I, i'm just thinking back to a couple of years ago didn't Klopp have some black like, former swimming olympic swimmer develop some electrolyte drink for them or something I mean, maybe, maybe you know they're the small margins <laughs> we're talking about maybe maybe that's how they've got the energy to keep going all the time but if we're not um if we're not talking about that kind of stuff then yeah just momentum and and Klopp's demands and the desire to to win the trophy and keep going that that's what it'll be but i mean as much as that, they're both fantastic players, aren't they? I think they both got more than 10 assists this season, mm. which for full-backs is, is incredible.
2: Yeah, and Alexander-Arnold bagging a free kick last night as well. He's, he seemed to add that element to his game. I mean, he's a good crosser of the ball, so naturally a good striker of a dead ball as well. And it seems like he's been given a bit more responsibility this season, Sam, especially from set pieces. I mean, we knew he took corners already, but from free kicks, he's been given a chance.
3: Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm trying to think who else they would have have a... Who could take them up? Salah probably takes a mean one. I'm sure he's scored some in his time. I can't remember really now, but why wouldn't he? He's obviously like a a, a set piece specialist. The corners are absolutely perfect anyway. Um, and yeah, if you've got somebody who can add goals from there, because you know, recently I was actually looking at Man City's like shot conversion and all of this mm. and big chance conversion. And Liverpool's wasn't actually that good. I think Liverpool's big chance conversion was actually worse than City's. And I was thinking, well, what what is the difference? Is where have they got these? these goals obviously city have got scored more goals overall but you, you look at the source of Liverpool's goals they've get slightly they're slightly more potent at, at set pieces and if you've got somebody who can take a free kick as well that that will help um I don't actually think that's been the difference this season I'm, I'm not quite sure how they've managed to spread the goals out to when they need them whereas city tend to get four or five in one go and then they don't get any one week and that's been their issue but um mm. This is it, you know. Liverpool have always got that regular flow of assists from fullback. Um, obviously, Alexander Arnold could chip in with a goal every now and again. The crosses, I mean, the cross he put in for Firmino—it was that good. Even Firmino could score. Because talking yeah. about big chances, I think he's missed about more, well more than twenty this season. It was an unbelievable I mean, cross. Only Abraham and Gabriel Jesus have missed more. So, if you've yeah, if you've got that kind of service, and obviously the front three do so much work in terms of the chance creation and the goals, you do need to su- supply that somehow because the midfield they don't create too much they don't score too much that's not necessarily their job whereas mm. with City you know the, the goals are more spread out but with Liverpool everything's geared towards that front three and the full backs and yeah going back to your first question about how important those full backs are that, that goes to show and I think if you took them out of the team for any period of time there'd be a, a noticeable drop off
2: I feel that you know you talk about how the the front players operate and I think Chelsea have gone down that avenue as well Lee particularly with the signings that they've made so far Ziyech Werner looks like they could bring in Kai Havertz as well from the Bundesliga so I mean they've put all their eggs in that attacking basket but when you concede five and I know it's to Liverpool um, you will be asking questions of yourself defensively do you think that Chelsea might need to tighten up at the back if they are to really compete next season at the top end
1: yeah of course I think you know, to win the league it isn't just... I mean, we, talk, we do often talk about Liverpool's front free and obviously the full-backs and how much they produce going forward. But actually, I think more importantly for Liverpool is the fact, you know, we talk about they don't score many offset pieces and that's because their midfield, if you look at their, their core midfield, they're not really attacking players in that sense. And it's what they cover to let the full-backs go. Then also when you've got a goalkeeper, um, I mean, Alisson, who's as consistent as he is, but also... Uh, Van Dijk, uh, who just seems to be a man-mountain since he's gone there, has been absolutely brilliant since he's gone in. So Klopp knew where he had to yeah, help assist in defending um, to let the guys go and do what they do going forward. I think City have struggled with that a little bit this year as well. Um, you know, losing Laporte has really cost them. And I think it's getting that, it is getting that balance between midfield and um helping out the defense so your boys can go can go and go and do what they they need to do right? but chelsea's chelsea have had an un- unbelievable season though haven't they i think I think the what lampard's done there is brilliant considering i like, this was always going to be his his free hit of a season if you like you know it didn't really matter what he did we all said that if he finishes in that something finishes around top six it's all right but actually they're they're probably going to finish top four they're in a cup final they could i mean they're probably the favourites to win that final as well. What a season he's had. And I think it just shows, you know, what he, what his abilities, are. Actually, the, the the focus um, around key areas and developing players. He's got a bit of a knack for as well in terms of actually how to, you know, tactically get them right. And I'm sure that Chelsea will address the defensive frailties, But as you say, they've just conceded. It's five against Liverpool. It's not like they've conceded five against a Watford team or something like that. You know, this is a really good team playing at the highest quality yesterday.
2: I mean, if you look at Chelsea's defenders, Sam, they're not terrible, are they? I mean, Rudiger's a good player. Tamori's looked promising. Christensen had a really good season last year, hasn't really featured too much this year. Um, Kurt Zouma, I think, has been a little bit wobbly. But actually, when you break it down, their defenders aren't, they aren't terrible. So where do you think the problems are coming from? Is it just that they're not quite at the level that Chelsea require?
3: Well, obviously, a lot of it will be to do with how they defend as a unit, but also I think they're very open as a as a team. you know Kante hasn't played so much this season, and even when he has mm-hmm. he's still been in that kind of Surrey role he's not quite been doing um what he likes to do. And break up the attack. so I think it's been it's been something that was definitely evident at the start of the season. I think it has stayed with them they're just they're just quite open in midfield, so when they lose the ball up front they they're quite open to to counter attacks and if you've suddenly got everyone running back the wrong way and the other team countering, not mean it's it's harder to to defend against we've seen that with city this season you know the pressing's kind of broken down they're losing more balls in the opposition half mm. they can't win the ball back in midfield and suddenly the defense is under pressure and you could say individually that the player city have got a a good but I mean I don't when you put them together or certainly when you put them under pressure they're not the same they're not they're not as good as you would expect so I would imagine with Chelsea it's it's not so much the characteristics of the defenders but how much you know pressure they're under and how much they're being asked to to do really um that's that's most likely the issue but I mean I know they've they've talked about um depending defending from set pieces as well um and how they just need bigger players so there's there's all kinds of things there. Whether it's um, from dead balls or in open play, you know there are ways they need to tighten up, and that's how they've ended up being such a an inconsistent team. You know you don't need to be you don't need to be City or Liverpool to finish in the top four. You can be a team like Chelsea that score plenty of goals, but will lose plenty of games and will concede plenty of goals. Mm. Um, if you still can still win, I I'm not sure how many games you'd need to win. Half of your games, that'll be enough. And, you know, that's not a big ask anymore. You know, that, that, that is not a big ask of a top team. You can get, you know, Leicester or Man United or Chelsea. None of those have been especially consistent over the season, but it is enough for the top four. Um, so there's obviously always going to be things to, to work on. And that's why when people talk about bridging the gap to a, a title challenge next season, whether you're talking about Chelsea or United or whoever, it's a huge ask because there's just so much more you've got to fix there. And consistency is one thing. Well, we've seen that with Arsenal as well, you know, with beating Liverpool and City and then losing to Villa. You know, that, that's the kind of thing you need to instil in these teams. So there's there's a long way to go for, for all of those challenges really and yeah, Chelsea's defence is just part of that.
2: I think it's a good point you make as well because I saw a statistic yesterday about the goalkeeper Kepa Arisa Balaga who has actually conceded the most goals for a Chelsea goalkeeper in a single season since ninety three ninety four, 94 which is just staggering really and considering where Chelsea wow. are on the table you know it, it does speak volumes. Um, what about Christian Pulisic Lee? I thought he was brilliant again last night. I mean we've seen some good american players in the premier league over the years i'm thinking the likes of clint dempsey and then in the goalkeeping department brad friedel and tim howard but with christian pulisic and i've asked this question on the podcast before are we really in with a chance of seeing the first genuinely world-class american soccer player because we haven't seen too many that are really good enough to kind of compete at the the elite level of, of european football but christian pulisic looks like he's got all the credentials to do that
1: yeah, he does. Uh, I mentioned him uh, earlier. I think he, he adds a different dimension. He's got he's got a lot of pace. He's he's very skillful. And the other you know, thing is he knows where the net is. And you talk about uh, the others that we've had in. Um, they've never really been in a top team either, though. You know, you don't see the the top teams. You know, historically, getting the American players in. I mean, this is first one where he's he's on the big stage, and he's also it's like that. He's the main man in there at the moment. You know, I mean, I know that uh, Williams had a. He's come, come back alive, hasn't he, over the over recent weeks. But, you know, Pulisic has been there and really been assisting in, in grabbing the goals where their strikers have been, you know, missing out a little bit. He's, he's also great. I mean, he's, he's, his final ball and his, his passing is his, his brilliant. You know, I think we are on the cusp of seeing something a little bit different with him than the rest. Uh, but like I say he's the first one to go into into a top team with, with better players around him, you know. He's... He, if you could you can put a great player into an average team it doesn't mean he's necessarily going to be great so i'm excited by him i think he's you know for chelsea, for the chelsea future he's you know he's going to be pivotal to it and i think lampard's it's a great signing for them and i think he's he's getting the best out of him at the moment
2: mm, yeah and definitely with the other players coming in that they've got coming in that we've mentioned before Werner havertz that's only going to you know increase the competition which therefore probably is likely to increase his skill level as well because, you know, when you're competing against top players, you're only going to get better. Um, talking about the trophy lift then, we can't avoid it, Sam. Um, it's been coming for a while. They've waited a month to lift the trophy. They've waited 30 years to win the title, Liverpool. They tried their best to get an atmosphere going last night at Anfield. Um, you got to say fair play to them. They they did what they could with the environment that they were put, placed in.
3: Yeah, 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 exactly. I mean, putting on the Kop was a good idea. Makes complete sense. Um, I just saw Klopp. Klopp said he'd never been on the Kop before, but. Given how he was trying to instil this "we are Liverpool" mentality, I thought he would have had a little pot around there on the day with unveiling <laughs> or something around, that, something like that. You but, think they'd uh, have shown but, him around properly when he first joined the club? Yeah, well, he would have just gone and had a look because you know it's it's obviously you know such a mythical thing, especially for like overseas football fans. You know, the cop at Anfield is one thing mm. about English football that they're really into. I, I, I was yeah. a bit surprised, but um, obviously no, I'm not having a go. You know, he has instilled that mentality, and if you think back to. In fact, was it West Brom, that two-all draw, when he led the players yeah, the Col- they... to sa- salute the fans? Everyone was taking the piss at the time. And I mean, maybe it was a bit weird. Yeah. and Maybe maybe that wasn't part of the atmosphere they've got now, but maybe it was. Um, so yeah, to, to do all to do all of the the celebrations without having the fans there, with kind of the journey that they've taken the fans on and had them be part of it, um, was always going to be a very difficult ask. But I mean, I'm sure Liverpool fans, they're kind of not even acknowledging that they're probably just trying to shut that out because you don't want to it's, it's like it's almost like they don't want to diminish it in any way and it's not it's i think it's just the reality to say it's not as good as it would have been if they were there obviously and i'm sure everybody's got a season ticket will will acknowledge that um but yeah in very difficult circumstances they did a they did a really good really good job of it and um you know the pictures and that kind of stuff i think they've also probably planned that you can't really tell from all the pictures that there's no fans in the stadium it does look mm. very special yeah. like when all the lights go down it's a bit like how Real Madrid kind of celebrate their Champions League wins they do have fans in the stadium but you can never tell because it's so dark and there's so much ticker tape and everything it yeah. just looks really cool and I think they've they pulled that off brilliantly. to be fair
2: like an Olympic opening ceremony where there's sort of all the lights get dimmed down and you've got all of these different things going on um, but fair play to Liverpool lifting the trophy for the first time the Premier League trophy that is and their first league title for 30 years so that's that done and dusted they have had a month to plan for it to be fair I suppose so it was always going to be decent Um, but you have to say it was their moment last night and congratulations to them the 5-3 result means that Chelsea need to get a result against Wolves on the final day of the season to ensure that they finish in the top four and also Manchester United will need a result against Leicester in their final game of the season they drew 1-1 with West Ham last night we'll talk about that game
0: after this Football Social Daily with KingCasino.com. Pick up a royal ransom of 100% up to £150 plus 50 free spins on the description link. Over 18s only. Terms and conditions apply. Please play responsibly. Begamblerware.org. subscribe to the podcast now and never miss an episode. Welcome
2: back to Football Social Daily, the daily podcast from Sports Social, focusing every single day on the Premier League season of course of which there's only a few days left now Sunday is going to be Survival Sunday, a three-way dance to stay up in the Premier League between Bournemouth, Watford and Aston Villa but it's the top four we're going to focus on right now because last night at Old Trafford Manchester United welcomed West Ham United and it was only a 1-1 draw. United couldn't quite exercise the demons from the weekend's FA Cup semi-final defeat. A one-one draw isn't disastrously because it means that they just need to avoid defeat against Leicester on Sunday to ensure that they do get a top-four spot. But they did look a little bit leggy, in my opinion. They just they they kind of huffed and puffed a little bit. Manchester United.
1: Yeah, they they were very slow in in their attack. Where I think uh, I think they touched upon it on the in the commentary that. Uh, the one thing about United since they've come back is how quick they how quick they have been attacking and you know the moving the ball quickly through midfield. Whereas yesterday it did it did look at parts you know very slow, very cumbersome. You know I, I don't know whether they're running out of steam or not. I, it's difficult to say because they're playing that many games so quickly. Maybe these that they're it is taking its toll on that midfield uh, to to keep to keep the levels up that have got them back into this position. Um, I'm not. I'm not overly concerned for United, if I'm honest, because I, I think Leicester are, are struggling as well. I, I can't see United giving this one away. I just think they'll, you know, they, they've got a lot of big, big players in there, and the big players tend to turn up when you need them to. Uh, so as long as that happens going in, on that final day, I think they will secure it. It's 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 in their hands now as well. I think that's probably the first time they've had that all season in in terms of the top four. So I think they'll, you know, they'll definitely be up for it maybe it's just like I say maybe it's just a number of fixtures that it's just starting to take the toll on their team but one last one one last game get themselves sorted and what a great season that would be for them to finish there because no one saw that coming at Christmas
2: no absolutely not I mean Manchester United since the restart and you know they've, they've been pretty good to be fair and it was the teams that they're facing now Sam were the, were the sort of teams that they were coming unstuck against earlier on in the season and they found a formula they, they've managed to find a way to to win games and win games quite effectively and convincingly. What do you put it down to? Because there was all this momentum going into the FA Cup semi-final against Chelsea. And of course, Solskjaer's team selection uh, was put under the microscope quite heavily because of the defeat. And it kind of feels that he was neither here nor there against West Ham. Not in terms of team selection, just in terms of maybe the mentality. Um, I'm not really sure. I mean, what what can you put it down to last night? Was
3: it simply just tiredness? Uh, I think so. Um, I know that's kind of the established talking point around it now. I, I, I was on um, one of the Sunday podcasts a couple of weeks ago. I did predict United to get third in the end, but I, I did say the only worry is the fatigue because, look, again, I'm talking about City again, but and I know they're the only team who can do it, but they're making so many changes. And I know that looking into it, there's so many like regeneration things you can't do. There's stuff that all footballers are used to like the, the amount of massages, the kind of cryotherapy when they go in that little super cold chamber to help them recover from injuries. And then, so they need that stuff more than ever now, but they can't do it because of COVID regulations and like, spreading germs and the virus and all this kind of stuff. There's more games from ever than ever, and they can't regenerate as well as ever. So they're, they're going to be more fatigued. So City obviously have got a big squad, so they change it around, and they make like five or six, even more changes every game. Other teams haven't been able to do that so well, but United basically haven't done it whatsoever. They've stuck with the eleven mm. that really works for them, And I think it was inevitable that there was going to be some kind of fatigue. I suppose the other side of it is that consistency I talked about. You know, it's very rare for a team outside of City and Liverpool at the moment to win that many games in a row. To be fair, the other night was the first time City had done four in a row in the Premier League this season. But United's run, there's always a feeling with a team like that that it has to end somewhere because maybe it's the depth or maybe it's the defending in Chelsea's case. And that's why they probably haven't put a run together. But there's always a little result in there. And I think that was inevitable when you saw the Southampton game, that there would just be a... Teams like that just can't keep winning forever because there's not the depth or whatever. Mm. Uh, And now basically, yeah, I, I do think tiredness is probably the biggest issue in that because playing the same team every three days... At that kind of pace and energy as well, it's it's just not really sustainable. And like I say, I'm not really expecting them to do too much because the squad's not especially deep. I mean, it should be given the the money spent and the the wages and all that kind of stuff, but it isn't. And yeah, I suppose just you mentioned that Chelsea game at the weekend in the FA Cup. When I saw that team, I just thought, well, it's not happening. Do they really want to win? (laughs) United are good with that eleven. United are good with that eleven and that and that system. You know, changing changing the shape and basically taking out four of the six best players and most attacking players and replacing them with just little pain limitations basically it was just mm. it was never really going to work so yeah. again where we're talking about title challenges next season that's where they need to improve and they talk about not bringing in another striker you don't want to stunt like Mason Greenwood's progress or even you don't want to stop Martial and, and Rashford from getting into a groove but I think we've seen if you're going to play a front three you can't just have three options for it you, you do need somebody else to come in so that's where United kind of need to build for next season and obviously getting in the Champions League would help that hugely with the finances but They've got to go to Leicester, and the other element is, what kind of mentality do you approach that game with? Because if if you know Solskjaer in terms of his experience as a manager, those players, you need a very strong identity to go into a game like that and keep playing your game and trying to win when you yeah. know a draw will do. If they try and play for a draw, that's when you you often end up coming unstuck. So that'd that's be very the
2: thing, isn't it? I mean, they know they need to avoid defeat, but is the best way to avoid defeat to win? I mean, you know, that that's yeah, the argument absolutely. I suppose yeah. Solskjaer yeah. will have. I mean, do you fancy Manchester United to, to nip into the top four? Because, I mean, that final day, I know we talked about the bottom of the table and how relegation really is going to be the main focus for Sunday. But, you know, Chelsea versus Wolves, Leicester versus Manchester United. I mean, we could see teams knocked out of the top four on goal difference. It, it could be brilliant on Sunday. I mean, so, I mean, who do you fancy? Yeah. Do you do you fancy Manchester United to pinch Lee?
1: Yeah, I do. I just think if they go into that game... Just to kind of go on to that point, the way they the, the way they have to approach their game is to go out and attack it and win it. I think that's the only way that they're going to win that game. If they go and play for a draw, they'll come unstuck because I don't think they're good enough at the back to hang out for a draw either. I mean, we know the way, we know what Leicester can do. If, if Fardy gets in the groove, you know he's going to cause them all kinds of problems. So they're going to have to go out to try and punish Leicester. We know that Leicester have got problems at the back themselves, and they've got and United have got so much going forward in terms of pace. And then, like I say, if, they, if that front three plus the two in midfield in terms of uh, Fernandes and Pogba turn up, I've got no concerns over, over United at all to, to get in there,
2: if I'm honest. What about the Paul Pogba handball last night, Sam? Um, it went to <laughs> VAR and, you know, in in full speed, I mean, it's quite easy to make it out like it's hit you in, in the face. But, you know, VAR's here to stay. I think we all can agree on that. And, and it's kind of put egg on paul pogba's face and he's got a fair amount of haters that still pop out of the woodwork every time he turns in a bad display or does something silly that was one of those things that he did last night which was quite silly and it, it doesn't really help his cause when he's kind of sometimes painted out as this villainous character um gary neville laid into him on commentary called it stupid uh, how how stupid was it how silly was it i mean c- could we talk about it possibly impacting Manchester United's chances of top 4 or was it just a moment of madness from a player who really isn't in the groove because he's barely played this
3: season. I mean I, I don't know I find it hard to be too worked up about it because obviously it was a potentially costly decision and I suppose it was costly in the end that United only got the point and West Ham going 1-0 up was obviously a huge part of the game. Um but I don't know. I'm, I'm trying to think was it just instinctive? It was just um, stupid I think.
2: I think people that try and read too much into these things forget that Everyone's done something stupid in their life once in a while, you know. You know, put the wrong petrol in your car. Everyone's done something stupid like that, you know. So, it, it's just one of those things. It just happens to be in an elite sporting environment.
3: Yeah, I mean, if, it was, if it wasn't Pogba, there wouldn't be all the other singing and dancing no, outside. That's right, you know, if this yeah. was if this was Wolves playing Sheffield United or something, it would have gone. Oh, that well, was a bit weird, would not it? And then we might not have even talked about it but because it's Pogba. It kind of builds into this whole narrative around him. Sure, I find it too hard to get too worked up about. I, I don't know. I think it was instinctive, maybe. Maybe it was stupid, but that's fine. Uh, I mean, there's, there's other there's other areas of Pogba's game yeah. we really need focus more than this. To be honest, I mean it was costly, but at the end of the day, I'm not going to hound him for it. No, Neville was livid, but is that you know Neville, Neville's kind of desire for United to win coming through? Mm, his kind I, of think so. I think. Yeah, kind I think.
1: Yeah, I think so on that. I, I, I thought they were very harsh on on Pogba last night. I know it was. I think the stupidity was going down, pretending to hit his face but the reality is that when they initially saw it and believed it had hit his face, everyone, there was all this massive concern around him. So there was, because of the, the uh, delivery and how hard he hit it. And, you know, he's protected himself, is my view. I think the ball's coming at him quick. His arms have gone up. Is it handball? Yes. No, no question about that. Should he have to take it in the face? That's a debate for probably <laughs> another day in terms of yeah, how much money he earns and you know, he should take a ball just in the back at that point. It. But, yeah, <laughs> just just let the ball smack you and make you unconscious and you know, maybe take you out of the game for the for or well, take you off the rest of the game. I d I don't know. I mean he's I think the stupidity was pretending that it hit his face. Yeah. Uh, but I like Sam says, isn't not gonna see here and, and castrate him for it. It's just it's just a mistake he's made on the pitch. Yes, it was important. It cost United a little bit in terms of the result, but at the same time, you know, United had a long. They had what another what sixty minutes to get to go and get um, win that game, and they mm. couldn't. So it's not mm. just that incident that's cost them overall.
2: No, no, absolutely. And I think everything looks worse <clears throat> in slow motion. I think you can pretty much apply that across all sports where they use video technology that when you slow something down it looks a hundred times worse sometimes than it actually is in full speed Uh, anyway Manchester United drawing 1-1 with West Ham means that the Hammers secure Premier League survival for another season they are safe they were pretty much safe due to their goal difference but of course mathematically now they are unable to be relegated on the final day of the season which will come as a huge relief to David Moyes and pretty much the whole of East London Um, what lessons have they learned from this season Sam because I think they're a recruitment policy has come under fire in recent seasons and you know that they changed the manager you know manuel pellegrini well from covering manchester city so what's the kind of consensus do you think from a west ham perspective about this campaign
3: i think the problem for for west ham and for their fans is they never they never do to learn Like i saw a question the other day it was like, which club would you next want to have an, an amazon documentary do and i instinctively thought west ham because I just love to know the decision making that goes on there. They never seem to have a plan. I mean, th- last time they got rid of Moyes, didn't they? After he kept them up, I, I don't know. I was kind of on board with that at the time, but they, they always seem to go chasing rainbows. And uh, it, it's fine, you know. Obviously, we've, <laughs> seen, we've seen at Leeds they've gone after Bielsa, they, they've they backed him and they put the plan in place and they do whatever he wants. And if, if you get that right, that's fine. But it seems like, like it's like if West Ham would have somehow got to be able to sign a contract. He probably would have left straight away because it just wouldn't have been right. And it's like they, they went and got Pellegrini and got, you know, some expensive players, but it never all seemed to fit together. And now I'm kind mm. of thinking as much as they should go after someone and try and get it right and, you know, be you know, a good football inside and bring, you know, pleasure to the fans and, you know, just finish mid-table or, or higher the kind of resources they've got um i kind of think they might be better off just sticking with Moyes and consolidating and trying to do what Moyes did at everton yeah get solid Uh, because at least he's got an idea of how he wants to play and it was never going to be good enough at the top level unlike for united it was never enough but for a team like west ham who can get away with kind of playing underdog football as i like to call it you know they Mm. can they can dig in and get results if they need to there's plenty of teams in the premier league who do that i don't think overall it's the best idea and if i was looking at you know, what Southampton could do for next season. I wouldn't be saying the same thing, but I think for West Ham, the attempts they've made in recent years to go to the next level, I think they should actually, the lesson they should learn is stick with Moyes and kind of let him build a squad how he wants. And then if the the time comes that he moves on in a couple of years, then Mm. you might still have a serviceable squad there where organisation will will, will keep you going. Whereas before with Pellegrini, there wasn't much organisation. It was just the odd individual quality, but the individuals they had are not, of the level you need you know we talk about the consistency you need to get into the top four you don't need to be a great great organized team but if you've got you know top class individuals like you know martial or pulisic or whatever they'll get you there but mm. like felipe anderson is in that class so i think they need to go more of an organized <laughs> you no know, he's good but he's not that level i, I is know what like? you mean
2: same as antonio same as antonio yeah you know, exactly they, they've like, relied yeah. on him heavily haven't they so
3: yeah but obviously again they've, they've started getting a, a tune out of him so kind of I I I would say to West Ham the lessons they should learn is keep going with what they've got now because yeah they've, they're always chasing rainbows and never comes off so yeah stick stick with how it's been going and and see how they end up next season because there's always like four or five really bad teams in the Premier League yeah. this season and last season so <laughs> yeah. it, it, at least just avoid that. And they'll be all right. Well, I wonder if one of those really bad teams next season will
2: be West Bromwich Albion. A little dig at Lee there. I'm only joking. Uh, Of course, the Championship had a mad final day yesterday. We'll talk about that a little bit after this here on Football Social Daily.
0: Football Social Daily. Premier League Preview. Subscribe to the podcast now and never miss an episode. Welcome back
2: to the podcast. I'm Niall. I've got Lee Whitehouse and Sam Lee alongside me to chat all things Premier League. But let's take a little break from the top flight for the time being and talk about the championship. And it's not often we talk about the second tier on this podcast because simply it's not our remit. But we do need to talk about the two teams that have been secured as promoted to the Premier League next season. Leeds United and West Bromwich Albion will be playing Premier League football at the start of next campaign. And we knew that Leeds had been promoted last match day. But last night, it was all on the line with a possible three teams getting that second spot. And then, of course, there was a huge shake-up in the playoffs as well. But in the end... West Bromwich Albion with a 2-2 draw against Queen's Park Rangers secured promotion to the Premier League so congratulations Lee on your promotion uh, West Bromwich <laughs> Albion are up it was a little bit sketchy at one point you must have thought it wasn't going to happen because you are in a good position and then you were losing and then you lost against Huddersfield oh goodness me oh
1: um, mate it's been it's just been a roller coaster of emotions the last the last five we've only won one in the last four uh, last five that's that's how crazy is. we we haven't won in the last four at all um, we've let the pressure come on to us a little bit. I think, I think it is pressure. The pressure just got to the players and we did not handle it as well as we could. Um, you know, Leeds on the other hand went and obviously just went and beat everybody in front of them. Um, but no, it was, I think last night was just the craziest, craziest second half I've ever sat through uh, as a West Brom fan. I think at one point we scored straight after half-time and you're like, right, we're there, You know, uh, Barnsley are... Uh, Barsley are beating Brentford, uh, Wigan are beating Fulham. You know, it's all gone It's all gone to plan. And then we missed We missed about two or three really good chances. And you're thinking to yourself, well, is this going to... And then they scored. And then they scored out of nothing. It was literally this. that SA, um, who had a really good game last night, I thought, he, he got in behind us and he had a great finish. And all of a sudden, you're going into the last 10, 15 minutes going, what is going on here? You know, Brentford have scored. Fulham have scored. It's everyone's drawing at that point, and it was just—I don't know—just emotions all over <laughs> the place. And you kind of you knew there was a goal coming. Now, I mean, that's the other interesting thing going into that last ten minutes um, when everybody was drawing, or going into into the no into injury time actually, because because of, of all the breaks now, you get quite long injury time. Um, you just knew there was a goal coming, and it was where was that goal going to be? And I just remember watching it, and the commentators were saying we we actually went all out attack at one point, and then suddenly Slabs pulling all the players back. And I'm looking at I'm watching my phone because I'm watching Brentford on my phone, and all I can see is Barnsley celebrating. And we just sit there, and I go, "Oh my God, Barnsley! That's where the goal was. Barnsley have scored, which nobody would have put money on um, at that point." And it was such a yeah, it's do, crazy. Do you know, the emotions just come out and come flooding out. What, what a, what a final. Final second half, but do you know what? That league's just crazy. I mean, there's no. am so
2: pleased to be out of it because you just. I bet. I bet, I bet you shows. are. And also, just on that point, what was it like, kind of experiencing promotion from your sofa? I mean, you mentioned just Awful. before we came on the air that it just not it just isn't the same. And I know no. we're in this weird situation with coronavirus right now, where fans can't be in the ground. But I mean, what's your kind of take on being promoted to the Premier League um, in your front oh, room?
1: I think being promoted for so it's just it's just an amazing. Just an amazing feeling to get you know to, to see the achievement come through over such a long what has been an, an extra long season. Uh, but that said, I think just because of the sheer emotion, um and the and the ups and the downs that you go through, especially during the running. I mean I think I said I said to you off um, off the podcast so that, you know the the um, emotions on Friday night when we gave it we gave it away at Huddersfield. And you just, you know, I think there was remote controls going, my phone was going, I was shouting, I had the wife on at me last night, it was no different. You know, I just, for me, being in the, being in the crowd and feeding off everyone else's emotion, you know, I think that's what, that's what it's about. I living it in my front room, just, it didn't have the same feel, I've got to say, but you know, we got there and that's that's the most important
2: thing. I mean, what about next season? You're up. You know you're playing Premier League football. You're going to stay there? Is that the aim? How, how do you think you'll get on?
1: Oh, man, I don't know. Because I'll be honest, I mean, you listen to the fan, listen to the players, sorry, last night as they were doing their... I mean, Jake Livermore did a fantastic interview on, on Sky. But he just showed where the club were. I mean, the reality was if we didn't get promoted yesterday, the parachute payments were ending. We were actually... There was people going to lose their jobs at the club. That's... Such the fine margin of what that result meant, but it just shows the level of investment that we need to go again. And Slav's already saying that you've got players in that squad; he feels are good enough to make the step up. I'm, I'm not buying that. I think you know that starting eleven yesterday isn't good enough, than just be cannon, which be cannon fodder for next year. So there's a lot of investment that's required. It's going to be difficult, and you know we're a club that's going up that's only had two years out. So you think mm. of what Leeds have now got to go and do to rebuild. And and to be fair, Bielsa's done a fantastic job yeah. taking nothing away from them, but they've got to go and rebuild. And whoever comes up, you know, it, unless it's Fulham, Fulham might be the best prepared out of the three because, you know, they've only had one season out. Mm. But it's just, it's going to be so difficult. The gap is huge. We yeah. know that. Mm. Um, but I think we've just got to look at, try and get a, a, a mix between, what you know, Sheffield United have had a great season try and do what, a bit better than what the Villa have done but don't do anything near what Norwich have done and, but Norwich have tried to play their football and it's fine margins as you know but you, you don't want to make yourself into a boring team to watch you know I watched that under under Pulis towards the end when mm. we were last up there mm. um, but you, at the same time if you go all out and play the expansive game we're just going to get picked off because that, that defence just isn't good enough so no. a, lot, a lot of work to do from now and it's such a short window because I think the season could start within a month or so so yeah
2: yeah definitely yeah. Well, well done to west brom they're up along with leeds united i did want to talk a little bit um about who might come up through the playoffs but i don't think we're going to have time for that but just so you know if you are wanting to keep across the championship and who could come up brentford finished third fulham cardiff city and swansea make up the rest of the playoff sides competing for a spot in the premier league nottingham forest miss out on the playoffs by goal difference the medium of one point's worth of goal difference so very very close um just before we talk about the latest premier league transfer news sam i wanted to mention a little bit about marcelo bielsa because of course we've heard about leeds united being the champions of the championship finally a return back to the Premier League after 16 years but he's almost been the star of the show and he's not even featured on the pitch he's the manager and it seems to be more chat at the moment about how Bielsa will do in the Premier League rather than Leeds United themselves which I thought was quite an interesting narrative
3: yeah well it all all comes from him doesn't it I was speaking to my wife about it last night she was like who are Leeds' star players I was like well obviously got Hernandez and Calvin Phillips and people like that but it's not so much about the the players it's it's more so with Bielsa than perhaps any of you know, like Guardiola and Pochettino and Gerardo Martino, the coaches he's influenced. Um, yeah, it's 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 about the players he's got, and they don't need to be star names. I mean, he's had star names with Chile, he's had star names, star ish names with athlete, Athletic Bilbao, but it's it's about the system and it's about what works. And I suppose if you look, you know, we were talking about Norwich then and playing their football going up into the Premier League, but so did Sheffield United, and Sheffield United haven't got star names at all. There's probably a load of people around the country you couldn't tell you one Sheffield United player despite knowing how well they've done this season Mm. Um, it's all about the system and they've they've had great success coming into the league and and playing Chris Wilder's brand of football and that's what makes me think and hope that Leeds will go a similar way I I hope they can they can come up and I don't know about establish themselves because you don't know how long Bielsa will be there for in terms of long term, you know, the next three or four years. But I, I do think mm. he could he could certainly keep them up and keep them up quite handily next season. And it is about him because, yeah, it's 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 about his style of football and you know their identity is so ingrained that comes from the manager. Um, you know, with it's the same with City and it's the same with Klopp. And obviously, we talk about them as these huge figures because they are, you know, personality wise and charisma wise and their whole character and, and aura but they've, they instil their football on the pitch but also they've got the star men to do it and that's the difference with like Leeds and Sheffield United they don't have the star men but they've got the, the perfect kind of part to do the job and they, they all fit together so perfectly and that's why they've they were unlucky to miss out last year and why fortunately for me this year they have come up and yeah I think that's why they're talking about Bielsa and long may it continue
2: yeah great addition to the Premier League Leeds United it's been a long time coming I'm excited to see them back up I'm sure lots of people around the country and Premier League fans across the world are too so Leeds United and West Brom promoted from the Championship to the Premier League one of Brentford Fulham Cardiff City or Swansea City will be joining them right then time for a quick transfer rundown before we close down today's football social daily um the transfer news has been rather interesting of late this one comes from arsenal where it says they're interested in aston villa's douglas louise of course douglas louise joined aston villa from manchester city city do have a buyback clause it's understood sam i mean are they interested in douglas louise as well obviously they're aware of his quality because they used to have him but it seems that arsenal are in pole position for this one
3: i've not heard anything about city signing any kind of defensive midfielders or central midfielders like that they've been linked to a lot i've not heard any i don't think so um i wouldn't be surprised if they were to buy him back cause i think it's only 25 million I wouldn't be surprised if they were to buy him back and include him in a swap deal for somebody else or sell him to somebody else as a way to make money because that's, that's how he was signed for City. You know, mm. People say he's come from City, but he's come from the City Football Group. He's one of these players they buy from around the world, loan out and you know, make a profit and on. And do you, do you think looks, we'll see a lot of that, fantastic. Do
2: you think we'll see a lot of that because of the market and coronavirus and financial implications and stuff? Do you think we'll see a lot of make-weight deals and, and sort of swap yeah. deals and things like that?
3: Yeah, well, I think in terms of City's plans, this was going back way before the league had restarted and everything was very unsure. I know City's plans; they were they were talent agencies and that they um, they thought swap deals would be much more common. And in fact, they're, they're going to try. Well, they're trying to buy Ferran Torres from Valencia, and mm. it looks like they're including Yangel Herrera in the deal, which is exactly the same thing. A very kind of similar type player as well. They brought him, loaned him to New York. Uh, now he's over in in Spain playing Granada I think Um, but he's still a City player they're going to include him in the operation for um, Torres so yeah this kind of stuff um, swap deals more broadly around the world I think they will be big this year to kind of keep everyone happy and not ensure too much money is, is spent in these kind of uncertain times but for City yeah that's why I can kind of see him being brought back and sold on but and you know it would make sense for City if Arsenal do want him and they want to pay 40 or 50 or whatever then City might as well pay the 25 and and keep the change um, I, don't, I don't know if that's going to happen but if he does come back that's I think it'd be more likely that he'd be sold straight away than than included in the squad next year but mm. he, he's looked really good since the restart and I could see why a team like Arsenal would want him I could see why a team like City might want him actually but I don't I don't think it's going to happen I'm not sure there's enough room
2: OK well that's the latest on Douglas Luiz that one by the way comes from 90 Min suggesting that Arsenal are interested in a move for the Aston Villa man but of course Manchester City do have a buyback clause as Sam has highlighted there and continuing with Arsenal... This one is around Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang, who, uh, according to reports, Lee, is going to be offered £250,000 a week to stay at the club. Um, He's into his 30s now. He's still got the pace that makes him such a threat. He's still got the finishing touch that makes him such a threat. Could still yet win the golden boot uh, this season. I mean, Arsenal need to do everything they can to keep Aubameyang at the club, because without him, you do put a big question mark over the football club and think, well, where would they be?
1: Indeed. I think it's probably, if they can keep hold of him, that will be the best bit of transfer business they can do, if I'm honest. I know they've got a lot of work. They need to shore up at the back and probably the midfield. But, you know, without him this year, he's the focal point. He's the player they all look up to. He, He also, he clearly, he's clearly enjoying his football there. You know, it's not like he's... You know shrugging his shoulders and not wanting to put a shift in he's putting shifts it's so, you know he's clearly wanting to play there so i think if they can wrap him up and get that deal done then that'll be the best bit of business probably by most of the clubs actually because what a striker is, and he's proven to be this year absolutely brilliant
2: i mean sam to be fair if they lose a i mean there was reports he could go to chelsea but if they do lose him i mean they have to find someone to replace him pretty quickly I know they've got a lot of faith in Nketiah but I mean in terms of hitting the ground running replacing that many goals a season is not an easy task
3: no it is not um, I suppose another thing about Arsenal is it should still be more about Arteta and his system and we talk about that kind of consistency and Chelsea don't have it I mean they they might be able to find a way to really improve under Arteta next season with his with his system and his coaching without that many goals from one source like, like I say if you can creep into the top four with the kind of overall form that Chelsea and United have had then it should mm-hmm. be the goal for Arsenal next year and obviously it makes their task a lot easier with Aubameyang they should keep him but if they don't I think I think they could probably get around it. you know Arsenal's a big enough club to attract new players but nobody really knows the financial situation there you know we were talking about the swap deals before and all the uncertainty financially I'm not sure how much Arsenal have got to spend to be honest so there's going to be a lot of focus on Arteta's coaching next year and it, it would be the simplest solution if they could keep Aubameyang and basically if they can get Mesut Ozil's wages in the books it'll make it a lot easier and never mind 250 like if, sure. if, he, if he really wanted to push for 300 it, it'd be yeah, yeah I think worth worth paying to be honest
2: Erzil on 350k a week of course and doesn't really feature even under Arteta where you think the system might suit him slightly better than previous incumbents you do feel that you know Erzil's strike rate in terms of the amount of games he plays for the money that he's on is it worth kind of saying thank you for your time Mesut but uh, it's time to move on anyway we'll have to wait and see what happens at Arsenal but from Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang to Pierre-Emile Hoibier from Southampton who have reportedly accepted a 25 pounds bid for the midfielder from Everton but it's understood the player prefers a move to spurs spurs are said to be interested but they actually haven't matched the 25 million that saints have accepted from everton for the midfield player he said some strange things lee in recent weeks saying that he doesn't really want to be fighting relegation every season he wants to be playing in the champions league he's talked himself into a move it looks like he could get one um but can beggars be choosers (laughs) no
1: but um it's a bit of a, some weird statements to make there really if you're going to get you know you make make these comments and then go end up in Everton you know it's a bit You just, it's a sideward step for me you look where they are and look where they are in the league they're, they're literally on exactly the same points um they've actually, have actually won more games than Everton this year under Ancelotti they could they could be a different beast next year um you know I think there's there's probably a bit more hope for Everton, but. To say that he wants to be sitting playing Champions League and he's going to end up at Everton would be a bit of a disaster for him. <laughs> for him. Um, but if Spurs don't come in and offer the offer money again, we don't know what financial situation Spurs are in either. I mean, they've, they've moved to the new stadium, but are they going to be similar to Arsenal having to pay some of that stadium back? You know, are they going to have a shortage of, of, um, of money to spend on transfers? We don't know. And £25 million, it seems it seems a lot uh, for a player who's been playing mid-table premier league I, yeah i don't know i think, I know. He's, but
2: he's, I think yeah. you're like me lee where you you're kind of in that time mindset where you think 25 million that's an absolute ripoff for someone of his standard but i suppose with the way the market is inflated over the last five years even you know your bang average player is going to cost about 25 yeah, million these days
1: we don't know how that market's going to look after uh, the pandemic so it could be that the 25 million for an average Premiership player, he's now expensive for an average Premiership sure. player. Sure, so, yeah, good point. Uh, we don't we don't know how it's gonna how it's gonna look at the moment. I mean, there's numbers for being thrown around, um, but reality is clubs will have to look at their financial position and see is that really worth worth the money? And mm. you know, they may decide. And, you know, Everton clearly feel like it is, but Spurs may look at it and go, "Well, actually, no. We don't. That's not where we want to spend." and the 25000000 million isn't worth the money. So, yeah, yeah, we just don't know how this is going to fall out at the end.
2: Mm, Yeah, certainly Spurs do seem to want him, but Southampton's message is if you want him, then you're going to have to match the offer. And if they want him badly enough, then you think that they would do that anyway moving on to the last one of the day and of the podcast Nathan Ake we spoke about him a little bit on yesterday's show one that's heavily uh in Manchester City at this moment in time any rumblings that you can tell us about Sam on that front I mean is is that solid um that Nathan Ake is going to be uh, of interest to Manchester City
3: yeah he's definitely of interest obviously with transfers you never know until it's all signed but he's definitely of interest uh, my colleague David Onsine wrote about uh, City's interest in in him, I don't know, two or three weeks ago. Now um, it wasn't something I was able to confirm straight away, but have been since. Um, as ever in journalism, you can't always write um, every detail either. So if you read it, you might you might just look at it and say, "Oh, Man City want well, Nathan Ake," and there wasn't a lot else to it. But there, believe me, there's a lot. There was a lot more um, to it than that. Um, the interest, the, the, mm. the interest, and the the contact between them is a lot more concrete um, than we've been able to say. So, uh, yeah, he's definitely of interest, and that I couldn't tell you if this thirty-five million report is true. But when I saw that the other night, it didn't kind of surprise me or no, I mean, he's, colleagues he, one
2: bit. He is along with Van Dyke, first choice centre half for the Netherlands is he not so you know he's, he's definitely got the credentials although what's the kind of thinking from Manchester City's perspective is it just simply reinforcements or maybe a right-sided centre-half with a little bit more reliability than someone like John Stones who's kind of gone off the boil and seems to be injured all the time but then again That'd you can you can kind left. of you can kind of oh for the left okay so we can kind yeah. of counter that with the fact that Ake's conceded plenty of goals in a Bournemouth defence that ships 60 this season and the previous two or three so I mean what, what's the kind of the, the balancing act here do you think?
3: Uh, well I mean to be brief they they want two centre-backs and one of them you know, to kind of highlight the difference between the Premier League and you know West Brom's challenge now uh, is they want two centre-backs and one of them will be like a top class player who can come in and um, form a partnership with Laporte play on the right-hand side more often and that's if all goes to plan going to be Koulibaly from, from Napoli but they also want Yeah, somebody like Ake, a bit of a lesser profile, but obviously still with a lot of potential Um, and, you know, versatility. He would be homegrown as well because obviously all his years at Chelsea uh, could play left back at a push, um, Mm. but plays on the left side, will be left footed. So if Laporte can't play or needs a rest, they've still got that left footed centre back, which is important to Guardiola. Um, So, yeah, they want those two different profiles and that's how it would work, basically
2: okay well we'll have to keep an eye on that one but certainly looks like there's plenty in it from a Manchester City perspective and with that comes the end of the podcast Football Social Daily done and dusted for another day but we'll be back tomorrow and every subsequent day until the end of the season Um, we'll be bringing out our kind of end of season review podcast on Monday because we won't do one on Sunday because that's when all the action takes place so we're going to leave that Sunday to stew uh, and be itself and just manifest itself into whatever it might be top four still to be decided relegation still to be decided we'll be here to cover it all on the podcast so hit subscribe and you won't ever miss another episode again i'm nyle thanks very much lee cheers mate. thank you very much cheers sam thanks a lot and make sure you tune in again tomorrow
0: football social daily spin like royalty here at kingcasino.com over 18s only terms and conditions apply please play responsibly be